This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And my name is Bob. And today we're going to talk about Midnight Siege. We started talking about it. We didn't want to lose out on any tasty content for you here. So basically, we're going to jump right into it today because I had asked Bob something about this book and um, I wanted to get his opinion. Was the book difficult for you to reread? I, I, I absolutely agree that it is difficult to reread, even read it the first time. Yeah. But I think both you and I come from a different angle. Mm-hmm. This book wasn't made for Nate and Bob. No, no, not at all. I mean, it was, was, it was, it was made for Nate and Bob 20 years ago. Right. Nate and Bob who didn't have a clue, like most of our listeners probably don't have a clue how the sex actually wage war, right? You know, how they go about it, why they go about it. If you don't know, this book is going to be very interesting to you. Right. Cause it, cause it at exhaustion will define who, what, where, how, and why. Right. And that, that's, and that's, that's great. And, and before but, we, before we lead everybody, um, or before we, we like lose everybody, cause they don't know what the hell we're talking about. What exactly is this book about? What is this book even, what is Midnight Siege? So what Midnight Siege tells you is that it's a book that governs how the Camarilla sect and the Sabbat sect wage wars amongst each other, how they do it, what they do it and why. Right. Um, you may notice I didn't mention Anarchs and how they wage war. No, because this book really isn't about that. This book is about the two main sects and how they wage war against one another in the eternal jihad, in the in the final nights before Gehenna. And the Anarchs aren't really mentioned as a factor in this regard because they're kind of used by both sects to, to exactly. wage their war. It's exactly the next words out of my mouth. They're, they acknowledge finally in print the ineffectiveness of the Anarchs. Right. Literally citing that the Anarchs are that they say they're rebels, and that's great. Every neonate goes through that. They get to run off and do whatever they want. But over time, as they grow in power, more power they covet, they realize that they, they need to belong to one sector or the other, or they try to start a stronger gang. Right. And the cream rises to the top, and inevitably they get used, right? Yep. Used and abused from one side or the other. So the other thing that they mention here, too, that I thought was very uh, interesting that um, had kind of escaped me, in uh, the first uh, in the first chapter, when they talk about the Camarilla, the the question is posed: Why do these sects even exist? Like, what is the point of them? And uh, there was something that I wanted to. This is not an exact quote, but basically, it says that the Camarilla fights because it has to to maintain its relevance. Right? If the if right. it doesn't have an enemy, it's not relevant. Then the traditions that make the elders more powerful essentially becomes worthless. Right. Also, mm-hmm. they fight because the Sabbat has a blatant disregard for the right of destruction. The Sabbat wants to hunt down and diabolize elders. And if the elders are like, hey, we accept the Sabbat, they're basically putting themselves up on the menu. They're putting an apple in their mouth and laying on a tray and saying, come on and eat me. And the Sabbat will be more than happy to oblige. If we can for a second, yep. let's let's eliminate. This is the thought I had when I read that exact thing. Right. What would it look like if there was no political affiliation whatsoever? Right? How, right. how would it be? And exactly what I see going on is that there's definitely going to be an age gap mm-hmm. where people are going to cycle through being uh, neonate. Right. Neonate would be just the Anarchs, 
at that point right. to eventually graduate as an ancilla to one side or the other of the coin. Right. If you're very good in social circles and navigating what you have, you would go to a more Camarilla-based elder, whatever right. the hell that is, in the areas they have. But if that wasn't your bag and you were more violent, thus less humane, you would get to the warring half that believes they'll just tear you down and take what you have. Right, right. And then it's cusp. That's exactly what it is. Well, and if we look oh. at the if we look at the dark ages, I mean, we can pretty much understand like what would happen if there wasn't any formal organizations, right? Good call. Uh, and and now obviously we can adjust that for the modern times, but what we've been hearing in Scuttlebutt about where V five is going is we're seeing these two organizations that are now on the decline and sort of the rise of the anarch movement. And that makes sense, right? Because if the organizations that are like the glue that are holding everything together as they were in like the early 2000s, if that starts to fail, well, what do you have? You no longer have structure that kind of keeps everything together. You're kind of falling into chaos, which right. which is what happened in the Dark Ages. You know, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but I feel like this book... It does a really it does a really good job of explaining to people who are not super familiar with how like like maybe they have sort of a vague idea, right? Well, I know that the Camarilla and I know that the Sabat fight, but like how do they fight? Do they just like meet in the street and have like a Michael Jackson music video knife fight? No. No, <laughs> right. no they don't. No they don't. In fact, this book will reveal to you something me and Native said to you arduously. The Sabat ain't shit. <laughs> it truly it truly ain't shit right when it comes to waging war because their their hearts on their sleeve their cards are on the table right as to what they're about what draws people to the sabbat is that childish inhumanity and urge to play in blood right right but they don't have class right at, at its crux the camarilla does have that there mm-hmm. right you just got to know where you fit in the social structure to get that ability out there right. to be able to express yourself in that fashion but then it goes as so far as to add the Camarilla is poor losers. They right. do believe in a scorched earth policy. They got they got fucking warlords. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Uh, Sabat don't have nary a single warlord. No, they don't. no, they don't. They have they have Seraphim, which might as well be the shadow council that controls assassins. Boo friggin' who? The Camarilla calls their assassins archons. You want to know the difference? The Camarilla are paid better. Right. <laughs> you know, that's what it comes down to. And it's it's like a harder war, but the religious fanaticism is what sets the sex apart, right? right. At its core. Well, and also, and, also, I think that the advantage that the Sabbat have over the Camarilla is that the Sabbat are offensive war wagers, right? Like, we're going to come to your town and we're going to fuck it up. Whereas the Camarilla are less that, but sort of becoming that in the modern era, right? Becoming more likely... Something- to, to, the Camarilla, the way that they kind of mention it in here is that the Camarilla has all cities. We just have to come and get the ones back that aren't currently right. in our possession, right? So it's not they're like they're chess. right, right, exactly. And I think that's the major difference is that the Camarilla is an old, uh, it's an old boys club, right? It's it's all these elders who are really hyped about maintaining their position of power, and and not even necessarily the princes, right? Because a Justicar could come in and say, uh, this prince is really not cutting it. Um, let's hand him a black book, right? Right, <laughs> right. They, right. they talk the about, book. right, the doomsday book. Whereas with the Sabbat, it is mostly just the youth sort of being thrown en masse and having to, uh, you know, a, you have like the Ancilla 
or the elders of the Sabbat, the few that actually make it long enough to, to become that sort of trying to use the scenarios to their advantage, but, but, you know, let accomplishing me, very let little. Me ask you, let me ask you a question real quick. Yeah. It kind of sounds like I, I know the answer already. Yeah. But when you were reading the Sabbat section, did you hear or were you reading how difficult it was for them to describe how the Sabbat wages were differently? Yeah. So I, I got the distinct impression that the Sabbat are, they're like accidentally taking cities, right? That, <laughs> that I feel like the, the few members of the Sabbat that are, that have been around long enough to actually have like some sort of strategy or some degree of control over what they want to accomplish as a sect, they have a much more difficult job engineering victories because right. they have to do so in such a delicate way as to one, not piss off the, the, the shovel heads, the neonate packs, the, the, uh, the nomadic packs, you know, all, all like nobody in the Sabbat wants to follow orders, right? We're and, talking about the soldiers, right? And that's by design, right? Freedom is their, their greatest achievement. That's what they're looking for. But with that degree of freedom comes the problem of going, Hey, uh, you lonely hearts club pack. I need you to go to Florida and I need you to wipe out, you know, John Bishop, the, the, the primogen and the pack's going to be like, go fuck yourself, dude. Like I'm not following orders. Who the fuck are you? Where's your authority come from? So he's right, got to be he like, Hey, uh, it would make me real happy if this guy died. And they, and he has to hope pack a goes, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll do that. Cause fucking, we want to make this guy happy. You know, right, they describe it as in, in your scenario that archbishop has to be like throwing a grand ball and inviting all packs right. in and then not from his mouth, but from the mouth of like a rogue Templar right. Right. who's in the area. He goes, I can't believe it, man. If right. I go and I sack this fucking guy up here in Florida that they want to get killed, man, maybe uh, I'm going to get another domain. Maybe I get some extra permissions. Finally learned some magic. I haven't been told. I mean, I want to do that. Jesus, I got to protect this bishop, too. It's a pain in the ass. And then, and then that Lonely Hearts pack is like, oh, so you can't do it, huh? Right. Right. And they did that seed, so they would go and tell Archbishop, we'll handle this problem. Right. Because we stand again and we know what it is. They call it that carrot and stick method, right? Yep. But now you've just netted one, one pack. <laughs> right. That's who you got. Right. And you got to do a similar process to every pack in the room, which is so phenomenally fucked up to me. Right. But it, it kind of, it reminds me of how like the CIA was, a, was arranged back in the, in the sixties and the seventies where like all of the government was ruled by compartmentalization. Right. So right. I only tell you what you need to know for your specific task. Because chances are you're going to go do something stupid, do something overt, get captured, get tortured. And then if you know every single capacity, every single piece of this puzzle, you're giving it all away. So our, our warfare fails, right? Yep. But if I only tell you what you need to know to do your job, and even then, maybe I don't even tell you that, right? I tell you <laughs> something wrong because I know your pack's tendencies and I know you're going to flip out and then end up doing what I want you to do, even though I didn't tell you to do that. You'll get so killed, this, right? But but you'll you'll accomplish the task because I gave you no information. So the Sabbat as a whole has this beautiful blueprint, right? It says everybody of title. And we're not talking packs. So basically bishops up. Right. You're going to get to know what we're doing. We're going to lay out to this beautiful plan of how we're going to stick it to these ivory tower assholes. Right. And it's going to go great. 
and then the eight of you, because it's probably all you have there, you know, because little do people know, unlike the Camarilla, the Sabat doesn't have an upper echelon of walking around badasses called Justicars. No. With an army of Archons to help, you know, defend. No. Because they rely on themselves. You know, they're supposed to be open fighters in their own right. And the best of them, they obtain those titles. But once they know the plan, then they got to turn around and go, okay, what packs are near this area right now? Right. Which means, yes, the Sabat watches packs. Mm-hmm. Who watches the watchers? The Black Hand, usually. Yeah. They have census takers. It's what a census taker and a Black Hand does. Know the area, know what they do, know what havoc or whatever they're up to, and report that back so you're always an asset to the Sabat. Right. Which is another thing. Behind the screen of Oz, you don't control shit, well, Sabat players. Yeah, and I think you know? I think one of the other really key important things that we should impart um, that the listeners will get if they read this book, a lot of people, in, in a, and especially in a lot of games that I've played, have gotten one key aspect incorrect about the difference between a Camarilla City and a Sabat City. If you go into a Camarilla City and the police force is fantastic and you know, there's no corruption and there's no homeless problem and everything like it's a squeaky clean city. That is a city that is in decline. That is a city you need to get the fuck out of, right? Because (laughs) what, what works best for vampires looking to influence a police force, looking to manipulate the media, looking to get what they want to have a full stock. You want a city that's actually kind of shitty, right? You need a bad Lieutenant, right? You absolutely do, and you need a place where that is acceptable, right? And and when they talk about scorched earth earth policy, one of the things that they they talk about is the Camarilla is on the ropes. They're about to lose control of that city. They hand you this black binder, and they go, these are the things that you need to do. First and foremost, you need to burn the bridges on your way out. So we need to get the city back in order. We need to get the police force back up and running. Let them affect real change. Make real arrests. All the drugs make, need right. You need a clean city so that when the Sabat the, comes disturbing in, disturbing thing to me, right? Right. With what you're saying, mm-hmm. that one tactic you're talking about was assholeish. Establish a curfew mm-hmm. for anyone who's not of drinking age. They mm-hmm. have to be off the streets by at dusk right. and can only come back out at dawn. Simultaneously, close all lower class and middle class clubs. Close them down. Right. Whatever you got to do, false drug charges, um, sudden, sudden fucking health inspections, whatever right. you got to do, so they can't feed. They right. can't feed easily. And I, I feel like it's important for us to just mention this because of like our, ge- our general geographic location, how much time we've spent. Why Chicago has always been such like a great city, like a go-to city, is because Chicago has a has a long and storied history of corruption. Right. It is a corrupt city. It is without the word of darkness. Right. Right. Just just alone. Right. Illinois as a whole is like uh, it's 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 rotten from the core. Right. But the reason why that's important is because for vampires to thrive in a city, it needs to be corrupt. It needs to have weak laws. It needs to have weak enforcement. It needs to have a great drug subculture. It needs to have a huge club subculture. It needs to be in poverty. When a city is working well, right, exactly. It needs to be an exploitable resource. And when the Camarilla is going to lose that city, they want to make sure that it is not a resource that the Sabat can exploit. They come in and they have to play quote-unquote cleanup because there's there's nowhere for them to feed 
corruption charges are all around. There's no one for them to influence if they even decide to do that, which is a rarity. But basically, you want to make it as difficult for them to feed as possible so that when the Camarilla comes back and takes that city back, the, the Sabat are weak, right? Because what happens? The packs tear through that city. Mm-hmm. They get there and they, they rip up whatever Camarilla fodder was left behind. And, Mm -hmm. you know, makes them think, yeah, we took it. Now we got to establish a hold. But that's not the packs that are establishing the hold. Right. That's left for the bishops on up. And those bishops come in and go, what the hell? Right. We can't do shit. You know, now we got hunters coming in. And, you know, these these are the unmentionables that they talk about in here, too. Right. That can happen. You know, those denizens, those strange bedfellows that you may or may not know they're in your area. And keeping Chicago as an example, we're talking werewolves. Mm -hmm. You know, and oh, let me not forget, uh, you have hunters like Sullivan Dane. That are right. st- they're still in wandering usage, you know what I mean? So when a city cleaned up because Chicago was, you know, tits up, you know, people back up. Right. And when they're when while the camera gone, Sabat comes in and now they're in a war still. So they're still using resources, they're still taxing packs. They still can't get a hold. And what happens? In comes in the you know, they fall back to regroup, they get some more archons, they get some Justicars involved now, and you get a full scale, you know, advancement of would be people who want to move up and be in charge of Chicago again. And Loden has a brood as long as the dictionary uh, to come in and <laughs> right. jump at the chance to help out with right. strong influence. Right. Right. Now, just an, ex- right. Just an example. The, the, I mean, none of this, none of the Chicago based stuff is in this book, but all of these examples, all of the, these concepts are, they're laid down for you in this book. Now we had mentioned at the beginning, this book was kind of difficult for us to read uh, a second time. Like we've both, we both both read this like this is the information that's in here is part of the the lexicon of our vampire the masquerade storytelling now right this is stuff that we have built into our just our very basic understanding of of these two sects but if if you as a player or you as a storyteller are unsure as to how to portray these scenarios this is a great book for that However, <laughs> I have one little criticism and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but there is a section on page 35 and I, I don't know what impression you got from this, but it talks about a, a new type of kindred, a new kind of kindred. And it's the story about a bunch of Malkavians that supposedly could walk in the daylight. Do you remember yeah. this story? I do. And, and I read, I'll, I'll let you finish, but uh, I, I mean, it, it, it I had the same misgiving until I read, I had to reread it. Uh huh. Right. And then I got what they were talking about. Yeah. I, I, I started reading it and I read three pages in and I was like, this doesn't belong in this book. That, that, that was my opinion about it. This is my one criticism of this book is that every once in a while, as I'm reading it, I'll find something where, where it's like this anecdotal tale that I feel like they're all fairly ludicrous. This one being the most ludicrous in my, in my opinion, and I feel like they kind of distract from what this book is trying to portray, right? It's trying to tell you the the ins and outs, the intricacies of the tactics. And I think that this story chiefly, but this story and a couple of other ones, I'm just like, mm, yeah, I, I could have done without that. That could have been cut and we could have we could have spent more time on, you know, story ideas or actual concepts. Um, I'm not going to give it the, the read, but I'd like to hear what Bob has to say about it. So when I read it, I had some of the same misgivings. Like I was like, what am I reading here? Is this the new birth of a revenant family? 
Like, what are we talking about here? And it's kind of a shift gears. And then I thought about it. This comes after that section they talk about how each clan within the Camarilla mm-hmm. kind of contributes yeah. uh, to the war effort. And, you know, big big clan names giving props for Clan Tremere to me are, are at the top of that list for its versatility. Yeah, right. If you got to, you know, for detection and, and you know, really detection. Well, and, is what I, and the Tremere gets screwed every time right. by the Sabbat because the Sabbat are like, we ain't got no blood magic. Let's find them Tremere and kill them first. And fuck them up and do ridiculous things like right. hurl a goddamn gas tank at the front door. Right. You know, I mean, just stuff that, well, there goes the neighborhood. Well, look at the, <laughs> look at the fucking, uh, the Kane's chosen book. Look at the cover of that. It hasn't come out yet yep. chronologically, but like clearly the black hand is like, fuck it. Let's just blow up the Chantry and dig out what we can find afterwards. So like, yeah, I think I, I feel weird approaching it. Can't don't know how to handle it. So let me dominate these 90 people in the blitzkrieg in the building holding, the, you know, C4. Right. <laughs> They'll call it a terrorist attack, but you don't have a Chantry anymore. Right just ridiculous things but um the, the 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 project here i'll try to be simple here so what they show off is that a malkavian by the name of aristotle de Laurent, which uh at least i'm assuming it's aristotle de Laurent. they call him archon de Laurent, and uh-huh. i only know him one in canon it's mentioned so i'll hold to that it may be that individual but he comes up with this plan right him and a malkavian elder named dieter and what the plan is that they take 10 individuals that are socially codependent on one another and and obviously a series of key other emotional disorders mm-hmm. that are, I mean, bad, like th- these people were hospitalized for not being able to operate and function in real life because of what they'd suffer from. And then after having them getting them out, uh, they're, they're twinage basically. And what I mean by twinage, they find someone that's codependent with them. Right. And, and, then, and know, then they like find a shamasay and they like, right, they find a shop, make them look the same. Uh huh. Right. Which is exactly what they do. And then they separate them. But, I mean, they get to live together, but they're not all 10 together. That's initials. Mm-hmm. So they can do a bonding process. And then they let them kind of exist in the commune together with just the 10 of them, spend some time. And the whole point is to get them to bond, uh-huh. to understand why that person fits their life, and to let all the disorders kind of commingle together and marinate. Then they pull uh, five of them away, half of the 10. And when they pull them away, they, they, they're just crying and screaming. They're flipping out. But that's how you know the bonding worked. And this guy Dieter goes around and he calls in favors and he makes random clans embrace these five. You know, it tells you the layout, but I forget what it is. It's, you know, some are Bruja, none of them are Nas, but one's a Tremere, I think. But just basically choose some key people for their advantages uh-huh. and they embrace them. Right. And they call them night people. And then obviously the ones not embraced are the day people. But what they do is, is they tell the night people, you know, who did this to them, why this is bad, and they call them Sabbat. Right. You know, so you're codependent and Sabat pulled you apart from the one person that completes you in all of existence. Right. And then he gives him a sob story saying, we're trying to fight the cam. You know, if you would like to help out, that's cool. But, you know, we're trying to do it and we're willing to support your efforts if you choose to do it and also, And of course they say yes immediately. Right. And then they, they let him go back to their day half and they tell him, well, you're the day half and here's what they did to them. And now the day half wants to rip everybody down. Right. They're just maniacs about it. And then what happens is the night half ghouls the day half and then it's sealed it's uh-huh. now perfect and what they have is they go about in the sabat cities and during the day they see these guys going about you know sneaking in and doing whatever they got to do usually kicking in havens and marking vampires and you know they're right. hunters right and that night they tell their darker half the darker half reconnoiter with them and they wage war on those exact people they've marked right 
but it all seems like it's only five people, even though it's 10. Right. Exactly. So, so (laughs) you can't see just like our listeners can't see, but my brows are furrowed. Right. I'm just like, right. Cause it's not your story. Right. But you tell it in a way that makes it seem like, okay, this could be, you know, moderately reasonable. I would like to read you the notes that I I took (laughs) about this story. And I I want I want everybody who's listening to realize that this is still a good book. Right. But the notes that I took were I can't wait three pages of uninspired horseshit. I, I would not approve this if if a player submitted it as a character background. I think it's it's it is the the blight of this book. Uh, if you have uh, the opportunity to read this book, I would just skip page thirty five, thirty six, and thirty seven, and then just move on, right? Because I I feel like while there are little inclusions like this, like uh, what's the other one? Golden throat is that is that is that ring a bell it's something to that effect like golden throat the the person who goes to the city from the sabbat and they go to a camarilla city and they're like looking for the young crowd to to like help them with a project and meanwhile yeah i remember uh, here's here's the deal man i'll be mm -hmm. honest i where i understand what they're putting in here it seeds into your head to think of your own shit right that could be seen as a tactic to throw out right Eh, it's a load of shit right i mean i'm gonna gonna be honest with you i agree 100 percent with you and that this is stuff that's like I, you could do better right right you could do better like it's extreme to have to embrace 10 people of whatever reason mm. to have them go right, at something right, right. There's, and it, it, there's just so many little like loose like there's so many leaps of logic in this story like i need 10 people that all have this codependency issue and then i need a say that i need this then i need that then i need this and i'm like it doesn't it's unreasonably convoluted Everyone's right. had that late morning at Denny's after LARP session. Oh, absolutely. Where that dude's in the back telling on the mountain of how he's going to fuck over the prince finally. Right. And he has this crazy scheme. And it basically seems like one of them puzzles that start with dropping a marble. Right. Out like, of a oh, man. Butt, Wouldn't it be cool it if this happened? Swirls around. I mean, it's just insane, right? Right, right. right absolutely. The inclusion of things like this kind of lowers the overall quality of the book, but not to a degree where I'm like, don't bother reading this, right? Just skip the silly shit. And I think this is a thing of brilliance as well on their part because it reaches the audience. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's, let's face it, there are people who need to hear that they're crazy could work. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, Nate, but when I play vampire, I do expect to see, crazy's entertaining. Right. Like, if you got your shit together and you're doing well in game, the majority of the game usually is like that. There's always those, like, 11 people who you're wondering what crazy shit is coming out of their mouth this week (laughs) just to see what's going on. And then to look at the storyteller to go, I wonder how we're going to tape this one together. Let's see what's going on, right? Let's just hold on my plot. He's apparently using crazy people this week. Kind of ruins my plan, so we'll we'll just see. Mm -hmm. See where it goes. Right. Well, it, it, it's the truth. And, and honestly, when we get down to it, fundamentally, my opinion and Bob's opinion about like what is a good story or what is a good addition to the world of darkness, it's not law, right? It's not it's not even remotely. We're just two two dudes just talking about it. But to me, the the whole five vampires infiltrating what whatever the hell that story is, is horseshit nonsense. Um and I think it it's the one glaring black eye in this otherwise good book because this book does a really good job of going, here's the Camarilla, here's how they fight their wars, 
here's a Sabbat, here's how it's different, and here's a bunch of story ideas, here's a bunch of elements that you can use as jumping off points, right? Remember we talked about writing cues in a different yep. podcast? These are, to me, they're like storytelling writing cues, right? Here's a brief, here's a paragraph, throw that into your game and see what happens. Run with it. Then the next chapter, they talk about how these different sects use the outsiders to wage their wars as well. The, the anarchs, the, the followers of Set, the Giovanni, the Asimites, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then at the end of the book, you have like your war chest, right? Like, I need a Dux Ballorum, but I don't want to spend the time to make this character. Here you go. Here's that character, you know? So right. I think that that's, that's cool, too. And uh, I consider this book part of, like, a trilogy or a, what are they called, a quadrilogy? I don't know the actual term. But <laughs> this book, Archons and Templars, and um, the... the uh, Midnight Siege Mid and the Gilded Cage. Right. Uh, Gilded Cage, and then you can even throw Council of Primogen in there, right? So there's like five solid books. This is the first of that group where it gives you so much detail about the Camarilla, about the Sabbat, about how these sects interact and how they wage war and all the minutiae. If you're into minutiae, you're really into portraying what this game is. In that regard, these books are going to be great for you, and this is the first of that of that group, so... And when it shows that these books are made to make it a discussion, I want to highlight that. Right. This is one of the few books where I think they're starting to do writing where it's, you should be able to sit down and discuss what tactics might be and what they look like and how these organizations work and how they should be applied. You know, they're not hard and dirty rules. You're not going to find this is exactly how it's always done. Right. It's an idea of it. And why I enjoy that is because nothing pisses me off more than when someone's like, hey, man, did you know this came out? So they got rid of that. So you need to know that. <laughs> no and that's that's totally horseshit let me explain to you guys uh and this this is uh, this is from the mountain nothing in these books is 100 percent the way it is every single time everything is is up for speculation everything is subject to change the war it never ends so it's always evolving and what one prince uses as a, as a tactic, another prince would go, that is unreasonable. I would never do that. And one archon would walk in and say, this is the law. And the prince has to go, okay, well, I can't fight the Justicar. Or he can. It, it right. all depends on your game, your city, and even in the fiction. All of these things are, and I use this word a lot, they're very nebulous, right? They're ideas, they're concepts, they're, they're constructs. The more... We need something, the more desperate we get to keep it, the more that our strategies change. And and that's imparted in every single book. Like this is, these are the ideas. These are not the hard and fast laws. Because honestly, you can't have them. No, you can't. Not, you not, can't. No. As much as. A diving as, group of Machiavellian politico right. immortals are going to, any book of rules they have, they're going to find ways around those rules. Right. And they got the time to do it. It's the joy of politics. The joys of politics are that um, you can always find loopholes, right? You can always find ways to support your fight or your argument or your your stance, and so can your opponent. So who who's the winner? Whoever has the power to keep the power. <laughs> that's that's really that's bo bottom line. 
So um, my my statement about this book is definitely get this because if you are new to this game, if you don't know the in- intricacies, you don't understand those those um, those little details. Those you know why do we fight? What are we fighting for? What does it look like nightly when we have these this war? This book is great for it. Um, and also, you know, like I said, it's it's a book that you want to get like the and a drive through RPG should do like a bundle like these four books. These are the politics books. But this the, these four books and this one specifically um, is really going to give you a lot of insight on how to to run those those political engagements, those those martial engagements. So and I think my favorite part of this book is the content where it talks about the Camarilla having agents that go across the Sabbat elders to talk about what they're doing in the cities. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. I was like, yeah, no shit. They do. They have to. Right. Right. You, you and, and oh, man, I'm the Sabbat pack. Kill them all. And why is it? I can't go and kill all them. Cam. They keep saying we're not ready yet, man. What's going on? I think my up higher ups are high. Meanwhile, that limo driver takes back off across the border. <laughs> Leave in the archbishop's house, you know. I remember when you were storytelling uh, the LARP, and players started to find out that that elders in the Camarilla had been conversating back and forth with the Sabbat, and like meetings had been <laughs> happening. And those players were like, "I'm gonna fuck that elder so hard," and they didn't. Right? And they were so pissed. <laughs> what they talk? How dare they? What? That never happens. No, it does. You, sh- you should you should read what we already assumed because logic. I recall that. And that's when they uh, walked into the prince at council meeting and made that big declaration about an elder who wouldn't vote with them. Uh-huh. You remember that the torter uh-huh. was just like, oh, man, fucking prince, you're head because you allowed this elder to talk to the sabbat, which means you're corrupt, too. And then without skipping a beat, the Seneschal was just like, well, actually, while we're on a topic, let's talk about your pension for Diablery. <laughs> and now all the elders just turned and looked at him. He's like, what? I've never Diablerized. And everyone was quiet and just stared at him. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's ruthless. Like, yeah, you probably don't want to point out right. certain facts around certain people. Just say it. Uh, yeah, that's the thing that we always need to remember as players is that Oftentimes, our gut response emotions are going to get the better of us. Elders maybe might be a little bit better equipped to handle those gut check reactions and, and uh, you know, might have a little black book of all the deeds that you've done so that when you do open your mouth, they can go, oh, please tell me about uh, three weeks ago when you went and frenzied and killed that entire mortal family and then my agents had to go and cover it up for you. Tell me about that, would you please? Oh, I, right, I, I exactly. I, 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 anyways, those are conversations for our nerd words. Uh, next <laughs> week we have we are doing a review on the Gilded Cage. So another similar book uh, in that regard, where it's going to tell us a little bit more about influence and about how vampires influence mortals, not control them. So exactly, uh, definitely, and uh, a good book. This is book number two in kind of that series. Um, Archons and Templars and uh, the Black Hand book, um, those are coming up too. Kane's Chosen, the Black Hand, the the False Hand. I don't know. We've basically written the the true Black Hand out of the story at this point. So when we talk about Black Hand to us, there is only one. It is the Sabat Black Hand. So, uh, but yeah, next week Gilded Cage is going to be another. 
Another long read. Um, that is the best part and is the worst part about our job is that <laughs> once a week we have to read a vampire book so that we're brushed up on it, but also we have to read a vampire book a week. So, I, I, mean, well, it, I, th- I think it is that when it's fresh, when you've never read it, right? That's when it's best. Oh, yeah, that's when it's, it's hot. It's like eating. It's like eating oatmeal. You know, like hot oatmeal with fruit on it and honey, and, and you're just like, oh, this is good. It's filling me up. But when you, when your oatmeal gets cold and it's been sitting out for uh, 15 years, <laughs> it can be a little yeah, bit like hypothetically, be, you know, right? right. You it can put be it back and right. You're like, I've already had this oatmeal. Right. <laughs> How long do raisins really last? You know, no, but it's, it's great. So um, check back with us next week for Gilded Cage. And if you are a follower of us on Patreon. Uh, there will be a super secret high level podcast coming your way very soon. So be aware of that. Um, otherwise, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add about midnight siege? Uh, only thing I want to add is I highly recommend getting it. If you are players who are curious right. about how, how to end your game, or excuse me, player storytellers, you know, everyone usually runs a game, right? If you're wondering how they clash and how you could run a cool plot through it, especially if you want more war in your game, mm-hmm. observe it to see how it's done. Right. And I would recommend if you're a particularly combat favoring character, how to have a combat without getting rolled by hierarchy on either side. Right. It's a good book for that as well. Yeah. I would say this is a must have for new storytellers who are really unsure of how to show these clashes without just having like a bunch of bunch of vampires on the roof fighting it out right they mentioned this a couple of times that most of these wars are fought by like two dozen vampires tops so you know right. the, the numerically we're talking about a much smaller scenario than we might otherwise imagine there's two things for the crunch lovers in here that you'll want one is a level six Tremere ritual called dements uh-huh. i'm almost positive it's what it's titled but it lets you know how how the hell do princes and whoever always know who's in their borders right that they claim domain over and come in it's common it's common enough to include this in the book as a duh right it's uh, it's included as a as a like a, a plot point a story plot point like i get the itchy feeling and i kind of know where you're at so right because because the point is is the Tremir chantry is always the go-to to take down the last bash in the camarilla everyone believes it's because hogwarts is there to throw all these <laughs> spells, you know, and repel like a gigantic, you shall not pass staff in the middle of a city. No, what it is detection. Detection right. is the number one form of a deterrent off the bat every time. And what that ritual does is in the book, it'll, it'll tell you all about it. I'm not going to. And some of you are saying, fuck, he was going to say it on purpose. Get the book, read it. And the uh, second one, I think I forgot, but it was a good point. <laughs> you have to read it. It's in there too. Well, all of our points are good, even if we forget them. Um, (laughs) Anyways, my name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we will talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks, this is Nathan from 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you'd like to help support our podcast, there's a few ways you can go about doing so. First, you can get some cool rewards by supporting us at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Check out our website at utilitymuffinlabs.com. We now have a shop where you can get your very own Utility Muffin Lab sticker or pick up a cool shirt from our Tee Public shop. That's tpublic.com slash utilitymuffinlabs. If you want to send us comments or you are a content creator who'd like to be on one of our podcasts, 
guests, send us an email to nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com. Finally, you can send me actual physical letters to P.O. Box 30332, Indianapolis, Indiana, 46230. We will be at Gen Con this August as well, so keep listening for more details as they become available. Thank you for supporting Utility Muffin Labs. We are consistently rated adequate. Thank you.